Bruce, thank you so much for that great presentation this morning. Boy, I just, I get excited just seeing what the Word of God does. And I just want you to know that Bruce and Margaret and Ralph and Jackie are going to be out at their table after the service. And if you want any specific information about the Clinton County Gideons, uh, Ralph would be the guy to go to. Ralph, such a faithful man of God here in Clinton County with the Gideons for a long period of time. Well, this morning we, as a congregation, are going to continue in our series on 1 Peter. And so I would like you to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 18 through 22 as we come to the end, section by section, we're coming to the end of 1 Peter chapter 3. And Peter writes this, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Two things I want to share with you this morning. We have a difficult passage and a triumphant and victorious Savior. Okay, we have a difficult passage and a triumphant and victorious Savior displayed for us in this passage. Our first point this morning is a difficult passage. The passage that we are looking at this morning has been called the most difficult passage in the entire New Testament. And as a pastor or teacher, you always love to come to these, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, Lord, help me with this one. But it reminds us of something. It reminds us of the beauty and challenge of expositional preaching through a book of the Bible. So whether you're preaching from the pulpit or teaching in a classroom, when you are committed to expositional preaching and teaching, and by that, if you're not familiar with it, expositional or expository preaching means that it is your goal to expose the beauty, wonder, and challenge of the Word of God. You are not there to give your opinions. You are not there just to tell stories. You want to teach the Word of God. What does this say and how can we apply it to our lives. How can we live it out? But when you commit to expositional preaching and teaching through an entire book, you have to deal with those hard passages, with those difficult passages. Don't skip over them. Don't pretend they're not there. Don't gloss over them. Deal with them as honestly and as accurately as you can with the tools that God has given you at that point in your spiritual growth. It is a good day to have the Gideons International with us because we are reminded that with them, we believe that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, 
and totally authoritative. Even the hard passages, even the difficult passages, even they are inspired by God and we need to seek to get out of them and to let the Holy Spirit illuminate them for, the, for us as much as possible. Well, the first and last verses of this text are the key to understanding it. And I don't want you to miss the heart of the passage because of the difficulty of the middle three verses, okay? So I just want to say that again. The first and last verses are the key. The three middle verses are the difficult part. In the first and last verses, it says, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Verse 22, Who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. That's the heart of the passage. And I don't want you to miss that as we work through this morning the difficulties that are there. And so what I want to do is I want to deal with the difficulty first and then come back to the first and last verses, verses 18 and 22. Now for full disclosure this morning, I want you to know that I'm going to share with you the oldest and most common interpretation of this passage. But I want you to know I want to be totally honest with you. There are different ways that this can be understood and approached. There are different views on this passage. If you get a good commentary, uh, one that deals with each and every verse, it will give you many of those different points of view. I have a particular commentary that lists very briefly about four or five of the other different views. If you're ever interested in that, you can email me and I can send that to you. So I just want you to know that up front. In these three verses, it says, verses 19 through 21, in which he went, in which Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At some point, most likely between his death and resurrection, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison. Most likely, and hopefully I'll try to bring this out in the context of the whole message, most likely he went and preached his great victory on the cross. So at some point, most likely between his death and resurrection, he goes and preaches to the spirits in prison, proclaiming the great victory that he has secured. Not so much for their salvation, because this is, we're going to see this is talking about demons, who can't be saved in that way, in the way that we are, but rather just to proclaim to them that he has triumphed over them. Now at the end of verse 18, it says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let us remember that Jesus died an actual physical death. His body died. And he experienced a very real separation from the Father. For on the cross he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But 
Jesus has always been eternally alive in the Spirit. In all of that, there was never a point at which his Spirit ceased to exist. Also remember this. The essence of Jesus' saving work on the cross took place during the three hours of darkness after which he proclaimed, it is finished. A few years ago, back when we were meeting in the gym while this was being remodeled, I did an entire sermon on those three hours of darkness when I preached through the Gospel of Mark. During those three hours of darkness, it was then that the Father poured out his full wrath on the Son, and the Son endured the full punishment for our sins. And at the end of that three hours of darkness, Jesus proclaims, It is finished. And then on the third day after that, he rises victoriously from the dead in his glorified body. Between it is finished and his resurrection is when many believe that he went and proclaimed this message to the spirits in prison. The spirits in prison appear to be a reference to the fallen angels who are already imprisoned in darkness awaiting the final day of judgment. As you study through the New Testament, you will find that there are some demons who have already been sent to the pit of darkness, and they remained imprisoned there until the final day of judgment. There is another group of demons who are roaming free upon the earth, led by the chief demon himself, and that is Satan. So it appears that Jesus is preaching to those who are already in prison. And somehow these demons in prison are directly connected with the days of Noah during the time that the ark was being prepared and Noah was a preacher of righteousness, warning people of the coming flood, of the coming judgment of God upon the earth. Now, according to Genesis chapter 6, now stay with me here. According to Genesis chapter 6, during those days when Noah was preaching, there were, was a time when the sons of God came and married the daughters of men and had children by them. The term the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 has, has been historically and most commonly understood as demons who inhabited human bodies. They left their proper place, the place that they had been given, and did something unthinkable and despicable. These demons came and inhabited human bodies and had sexual relations with the daughters of men and their offspring con contributed significantly to the wickedness that was upon the earth that caused God to destroy the entire earth and all mankind by a flood except Noah and his family. The term sons of God, even by the most or earliest rabbinical teachings in Judaism, the sons of God were understood to be demons inhabiting 
human bodies. And it is these demons who are part of those, according to Peter, in essence, commenting on Genesis chapter 6 that are part of those demons in prison. We know there are more than them because in the book of Revelation it tells us about demons who were also in prison before the final judgment. Let me put together for you Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6, and then some passages in the New Testament that correspond to this. Genesis 6, 1 and 2 and 5 and 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And again, the offspring of, in essence, these demonic children apparently helped to wreak havoc upon the earth at that time. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 2, in verses 4 and 5, Peter says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, now watch this, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare, now watch the connection to Noah, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald or a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And the, or excuse me, Jude, verse 6. Jude, verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but watch this, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So apparently these are part of the spirits in prison that Jesus goes to proclaim to. Satan has always been trying to ruin, to distort the line of the Messiah, to in essence destroy the human race so that Messiah would never come. And it is most likely why these sons of God came and cohabitated with the daughters of men. Now, Noah and his family were saved by an event that corresponds to baptism. Again, in which Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word baptism here is very key. The word baptism as it is used here is not a reference to water baptism per se, but rather to our spiritual baptism into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you 
receive Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, you are spiritually baptized at that moment instantaneously into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what water baptism symbolizes. We are having a baptism membership service tonight. Those people who are being baptized are in essence giving two testimonies, one with their lips of how they were saved, and then as a picture, as a, test, a testimony when they are baptized by immersion because they were baptized at the time of salvation into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Paul says this so well, such a key passage, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know, Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He here is not talking about water baptism, but by your spiritual baptism at salvation, which water baptism represents and symbolizes. Don't you know, Christian, that you have been baptized, that when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death? You were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that as he was raised from the dead, in essence, you were raised from the dead. Now, so Peter says baptism, spiritual baptism, which corresponds to Noah and his family. You see, what happened with Noah and his family is they were placed in the ark and therefore were saved from God's judgment. The ark of Noah has always been understood theologically as a, a foreshadowing or type of Christ's salvation. They were placed in the ark and saved from judgment. You are placed in Christ and saved from judgment. Let me say that again. They were placed in the ark and saved from judgment. You are placed in Christ and saved from judgment. So baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body. We're not talking about water baptism per se here but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Do you know how you get a good conscience? Do you know how you get a clear conscience? By coming to know Christ as Savior. Good conscience here means free of accusation and condemnation. When you come to Christ, you have the good conscience of knowing all of your sins are forgiven through him. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through his death and through his victorious, glorious resurrection. So let me try to put this all together for you. Jesus went and proclaimed his victory on the cross to the demons in prison. These demons are connected to Noah's day because they did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Your spiritual baptism or spiritual baptism into Christ, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And it saves you unto a good conscience through the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our second point this morning, a triumphant and victorious Savior. Now that is my best effort this morning to try to explain those middle verses. But as I said to you earlier, please, please don't miss the main point by getting bogged down in those middle three verses. Those middle three verses are the inspired word of God. But they are hard, they are difficult verses. But don't miss the heart and soul of this passage. So let me go back over verses 18 and then 22. In verse 18, we have one of those statements that could be called the gospel in a nutshell. There are four things in verse 18 that are really the gospel. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. First, Christ suffered and died for sins. Some translations have Christ died for sins. That's simple. You see, when Jesus died, he didn't die primarily to be an example for us. He didn't die primarily so he could teach us how to live and die. He died for sins. He died to pay the full penalty and punishment of our sins. Second, his death was once and for all. For Christ also suffered once for sins. I like the New International Version translation here where it says, for Christ died for sins once for all. Under the old Levitical priesthood, when the Levites sacrificed animals to temporarily remove sin from the people of Israel, they sacrificed millions of lambs and goats to temporarily cover over sin. It is said that the Passover at which Jesus died, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, that some 250,000 lambs, sheep, were sacrificed just at that one Passover. But folks, when Jesus died, he was the once and for all sacrifice never to be repeated again. He accomplished thoroughly and completely your salvation on the cross. Not only will lambs and goats not be sacrificed again, Jesus will not be sacrificed again. He died once for all to accomplish our salvation. His death, third, was a substitutionary death, the righteous for the unrighteous. The holy and perfect Son of God died as a substitute for us sinful men and women. He took our place. He died where we deserved to die, the righteous for the unrighteous. And then fourth, Christ died in our place to reconcile us to God. I love the middle part of verse 18, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. That he might take a holy God and sinful men and women, remove the barrier that stood between us, and bring us into God's presence, clean and forgiven, into the very throne room of a holy God. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That's why he did it, so that you might come into a personal, saving relationship with God.
Folks, this is what Jesus proclaimed to the spirits in prison, and this is what we proclaim to the ends of the earth. Paul says it so well, so beautifully in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, watch this, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Did you know that you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ? He forgave all of your sins, not just most of them, but all of them. And all those legal charges brought against you that you that should have condemned you to eternal hell forever all of those legal charges he has taken away how by nailing them to the cross and not only did he buy us or purchase us a complete forgiveness and bring us to the father but he disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them and he triumphed over them by the cross. Well, Peter closes this section on the triumphant victory of Christ with a majestic statement about the ascension of Christ to the right hand of the Father. Verse 22, this resurrected Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, now notice this, with angels authorities and powers having been subjected to him. The same thing Paul says in Colossians 2. In the Bible, the right hand of the Father is the position of highest possible honor and authority. To be at God's right hand means you're in the preeminent position, the highest place of authority in all the universe, not just in all the world, but in all the universe. Christ is right now at the right hand of the Father because his work of salvation is now complete. Folks, it is finished. A complete and thorough, thorough salvation has been purchased for you, has been accomplished for you. So Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and took his place of authority. And by his death and resurrection, he has subjected all things, all things, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, according to Philippians chapter 2, he has subjected all things to his sovereign rule and his sovereign power. And so really the question is this morning, do you know him? He's done everything. He offers you his salvation as a free gift, a gift of grace. And you need to simply repent of your sin and receive that gift of grace. And he will save you and cleanse you and bring you to the Father. Has there ever been a point in your life 
where you have invited Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be your Lord and Savior. The very thing that Bruce talked about when some of these people were given testaments. If you've never done that and you want to, I would love to talk with you. I can talk with you myself after the service or I can lead you to many people in our congregation who would love to show you from the Bible how you can know this glorious and victorious Savior as your Savior. But let me ask you, has there ever been a point in your life where you've invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Let me say again, this is a difficult passage, but don't miss the heart and soul of it. Jesus triumphed over sin and death and over all the demons, and he has provided a complete and thorough salvation for all who will trust in him. Today, right now, as we meet, he reigns. He rules and reigns from the Father's right hand in heaven. Someday, I believe, someday soon, he will return to rule and reign on the earth. He is the triumphant Christ. He is the victorious Christ. Trust him. Love him. Serve him. Worship him. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, at this time, what we're going to do is take a second offering. We are going to take a second offering, and all of it will be given to the Gideons International. I just want to encourage you as your pastor to give generously and liberally to this great ministry. Because you know what they're doing? They are passing out testaments all over the world, proclaiming this triumphant and victorious Christ that we again learned about this morning. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to take that offering, and then after the offering, Chris will come and lead us in a closing song. Let's pray together. Father, words could never express how grateful we are for the triumphant and victorious Christ who has provided a complete and thorough salvation for us. We thank you. We praise you. And Lord, help us not simply to hoard our salvation, but to share it with others. We thank you for the Gideons International. We thank you for their firm belief in the power of the word of God in the human heart. Lord, us, Lord guide us as we give, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.